0: The Giles Files is sponsored by BetterHelp, affordable, professional online therapy from any device, text, chat, and video. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And here's a special offer for Giles Files listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Giles Files. That's BetterHelp.com slash Gilesfiles. And thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. It's the Giles Files season three. More Bafo shows, that's a guarantee. Nancy Giles and producer Nancy Wyatt, we got opinions we ain't keeping quiet. On the Giles Files season three. Yeah. You look good. (laughs)
1: I I have uh, just a light touch of makeup on, as I told Nancy. (laughs) A little bit of base and a little bit of smoky eye.
2: Well, it looks good because, you know, smoky eye and lipstick just don't go.
1: (laughs) No, they don't. They don't. Good choice. Good choice. always do either or. Well, you
2: look like you got a haircut. And I got a
1: haircut yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm and I shaved for this, and you know, things <laughs> no, I normally don't do ever.
2: We are flattered, thank you. We
0: are, and in the words of Carly Simon, you're so vain, you <laughs> probably think this podcast is about you, well, don't you, don't you? <laughs> and it is. <laughs> it's all about my pal John Marcus, an award-winning writer and producer of The Cosby Show, The Larry Sanders Show, the Al Franken series Late Line and a lot more. This sit-down is about the funny. We get into the craft of television comedy, from creating a show to the science of laughter, live and canned, and the brilliant and complicated legends that John Marcus learned from Bill Cosby, Gary Shandling, even a very significant rodent? Here I come to save the day. That
2: means that mighty mouse is on the way. How do you come up with the storyline for a mouse? <laughs> I mean, it was Mighty Mouse, right? It was Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Did they tell you and you just have to do the dialogue?
1: Did you have to come up with the whole storyline? You and had they- to pitch the beginning, middle and end of a story. You know, it was a very small animation studio in Sherman Oaks. And uh, I remember the head of the studio's name was Lou Scheimer. And Lou was like a small time studio boss. And so I was brought in by uh, the late Sam Simon to write for Mighty Mouse. And I had to pitch. I had to pitch episodes. And uh, finally, they say yes to one. And then you develop it into a story. And then you'd you'd write it. And I lasted about eight months there. uh, And I remember getting a a script that came in. And I got called into Lou Scheimer's office. Uh And he said, bring your script. Uh, Oops. And and I know. And he said, open it to page 24. And he said, that line in the middle, Mighty would never say that. (laughs) (laughs) And I got let go. Oh, (laughs) what was the line? Oh, I can't remember the line. (laughs) So ends the adventure of the mouse of
0: tomorrow. He's seen his duty and he's done it.
2: the that we like. What are you watching now?
1: I, I'm gonna be such a disappointment to everybody. First of all, I think I, I can't comment on everything because I don't watch everything. I'll try stuff out, but, but I, I'm, I'm tough. I mean, it's got to appeal to my character writing, mm-hmm. you know, the side of me that values writing true characters. I think people who binge, I think it's almost like a form of intoxication. They're like, somehow the binging gets them to the point where my gates are totally open to to like this. And they do because they're investing a lot. I don't know. The show that I think is one of the funniest shows on TV is Succession. Succession? Makes me laugh out loud many times. (laughs) Crazy good in places. Crazy good.
0: Wait, Succession is the one, is the, uh, the family drama the, where- The, the Murdoch kind of like family. The, right, okay. Yeah.
1: These incidents
0: are symptomatic of a foundational sickness within our father and his company. Mm, don't use that tongue prettier than a $20 whore?
2: <laughs> He's a central player in a rotten cabal that has basically eaten okay, the yeah. heart out of American democracy. Rotten cabal is a good name for a band.
1: Oh my Lord, they, the casting is genius. Uh, and I and I got to give a shout out uh, to Francine Mazler who cast the original pilot of Succession, because she's she she's got a goal. She also cast Larry Sanders. She's know. a good lady. I've auditioned for her. Um, so that <laughs> show stands out where the writing is superb and the casting. It all works. Um, I think there are parts of the crown that are really hilarious. I love the crown. Wow. I just think Peter Morgan is a, is like a genius of some kind. He's because I love the Queen, the movie, the Queen that Helen Mirren did. Mm-hmm. That that really and and hilarious in places, and the Crown also, especially when Philip's involved, when there oh. one of these actors that have portrayed Philip, really good and funny, and so I I, I guess I'm and I'm not really like a long form person, but those shows stand out um name some shows because that you guys watch
2: reruns i like mom i think that's mom hilarious. mom with and Janney? yeah yeah
1: one of the great comic actors around i think that's, that's one
2: it and... holds up i mean if i yeah. if the episode comes on that i've seen three times I so, i'm still laughing that's... i also like two and a half men
1: well you know you're it's funny you're picking both chuck Laurie shows shows that are throwback sitcoms and they're yeah. in
0: front of an audience. Yeah. I know. And there is something about that being done in front of a live audience. It gives it this rhythm and this energy that not to take away from the filmed ones, but there's no
1: true test of what you're doing when you don't have an audience there. You can all in the room agree this will be funny. And it's odd, I should say, because the show that begat all the single camera film shows is Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders was done without an audience unless they were doing the actual talk show but it was 90% without the audience and it was funny because Gary was a comedy writer and and dark in his sensibilities and he had funny people on the show but the shows that came after it I don't find to have the same octane level of laughs mm-hmm. and you know again here comes grandpa. <laughs> Honestly, every time I go to get my hair cut, I walk up to the colorist and say, come on, isn't it time? No, don't. I was once going back to a high school reunion and I, and I said, okay, I'm not doing my hair. Okay. But I want my beard color. And I think the colorist at this particular salon was on drugs. <laughs> What so happened? I had the first dye job ever and the last dye job ever of my life. And, you know, it, it it's all made me very, very sympathetic to what women go through because it's so hard and expensive what you guys do. Yeah, <laughs> I get home. And it looks like I'm about to go on stage. This thing is jet black. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I I look like, you know, Pavarotti in the old opera. And it's jet black. And I'm I'm supposed to get on a plane the next day, right? And I call panicked. I call the salon. This teaches me a lesson for going to a salon (laughs) in the first place. My dad used to go to a gas station to get his hair cut. It was $4. And he'd say, you boys are full of shit. This is what I got. And, um, you know, of course... Because she was a drug addict, they had to find her. She was gone. <laughs> they got her in a bar. So oh I my said, god! You got it. You got to get a hold of her because this is an emergency. And uh, you know she's barely together, but she was together enough to go. Like, oh, it's too dark. I was worried about that. <laughs> and I, and I said, just help me fix it. And she said, you got vodka and lemon. Lemons in your in your refrigerator. And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, mix them together. 50, 50, and just start putting it on, and the color will lighten up. And it's it did. It did. Well, damn. Now, that could be because that's all she drinks after <laughs> hours. <laughs> but but it, it worked. So, so color makes me nervous. So I haven't gotten a color, but
0: yeah, good. Not that's, yet. That's good. We like. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nancy.
2: Uh, when you were talking about uh, sitcoms being in front of an audience. Uh, Chuck Laurie on one of his cards after yes. the show talks about the different kinds of laugh. Like yes. there's sometimes there's a sympathy laugh because there's a pause and the audience thinks, Oh, we're supposed to laugh here. <laughs> and he was just saying and as a comedy writer, you know the different laughs.
1: It was just You definitely know them.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know them. And Chuck would know them better than anybody because God bless him, he's still doing it. He's still having audiences in. Of course, the shows you both mentioned aren't they're only in reruns now,
2: right right. right. right.
1: Um, boy, they're very, very few. Let's see.
2: What do you think yeah. of uh, curb your enthusiasm?
1: Oh my God, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, this last season, I, I mean, I love the first four or five seasons, and I think it's so hard to maintain uh, a real quality comedy. It's so hard. And I think it faltered here and there after four or five or six seasons. And then miraculously, last season was one of the best ones they ever did. Mm-hmm. It's like this thing got completely revived as far as its funny bones and what it, you know, and it was out, outrageous. I mean, I was offended in a couple places <laughs> and I places. Everything. But I thought, you can't. Come on. You can't do that. But he does it. yeah. And he does that also, filmed
0: no audience, and but it somehow has that electricity. Why is that? Do you think?
1: It, I think it's because it's lar- it's really improvised. He knows how to pick the right people, right, Susie Esmonds, and the you know Jeff Garland's and people who come in, and they go. It, there are no scripts to the show, and I I had heard it could be wrong that Larry Larry really didn't want to spend the money on written by credits. <laughs> when they were starting out, it's like, well, wait a minute. We're, I'm not doing a script, so I'm not paying that money. And I don't want to give people credit for stuff because we're going to make it up. And so they, they start their episodes with an outline. They don't, wow. It's not written dialogue. I'm, I'm thinking about the money aspect, though. If it's
0: not written, if it's kind of written by everybody and improvised by everybody, like, does anybody get a writer's credit on that show? Uh, or they, they just don't he, have one.
1: He gives out story by credits. Story by. You know, they sit down, they concoct the story. Right. OK. There was a, an early review of Curb that I found interesting. It was done by an English critic. who mm. said, this is the first time in comedy that the big guy has picked on the little guy. And that's what he does in the show. He picks ah. on Girl Scouts and he picks on, you know, people that park your car in the garage. And he, he just picks on people who are not as powerful as him. It's true. It's really true.
0: And that normally doesn't work. It's such. He has oh
1: my said God. in interviews that what's the difference between him, Larry David, him and, and the real him? He said the Larry David in Curb is the person I want to be. Holy shit. What's going on over here?
0: Shouldn't she be moving up? Yeah. Isn't that how a line works? Yeah. I don't like a big gap in the line. You want to feel like a line is moving, you know? Otherwise, psychologically, it's bad, yeah. right? I'm, I'm languishing back here. Maybe I'll say something, don't. Hey. Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, would, you, could you, would you mind moving up on the line a bit?
2: No, I'm good. Maybe just worry about yourself.
0: Well, I, I mean, you're on the line. You have a responsibility as a person on the line to keep the line moving. And you're not holding up your end of the bargain.
2: Would you tell somebody that was a white man to just move up? Yeah,
0: in a second. Sure, of course. Oh, so this is racial? Is that what this is? Sir, you know what? I'm going to actually need you to get in the back of the line. What? Or, Are you, kidding or me? you could leave. Oh, thank you.
1: oh, in a... no, she's she's to one. The not. You're not the Rachel?
2: My other favorite is V. Oh, Veep, Veep, I loved. Jesus!
1: Dan, did your boyfriend know anything about this? I was trying to use Jonah for intelligence. That's like trying to use a croissant as a fucking dildo. I thought... No, no, no.
0: Let me be more clear.
1: It doesn't do the job,
0: and it makes a fucking mess.
1: Such a major force, and so likable, and so hilarious. And she can be mean, and you like her. I know. wow. Really something. She comes from the the Dreyfus Fund. Yes. Yeah. And Aren't they related to the Rothschilds? I feel like I'm spreading an urban yes. myth here. So no, I believe you're right. Please forgive me if that's incorrect, but I believe that that's but, right. Know, so God, listen, God love her for like she could just have kicked back her whole life and lived a life of debauchery, and instead <laughs> she robustly pursued this craft and yeah. and developed her talent, and you know. Yeah. I mean, she is one of the exceptions to my rule of thumb, which is I've never met an heir I like. <laughs> I've never met one.
0: Yeah, you know what? I guess she's the most wealthy person I've ever met. And she was, re- and I didn't know about the Dreyfus fund stuff then. I just knew her as Julia and she was very, very friendly. You're a doctor and mom's a lawyer. You're both successful and everything and that's great maybe i was born to be a regular person and have a regular life if you want a doctor i wouldn't love you less because you're my dad and so instead of acting disappointed because i'm not like you maybe you can just accept who i am and love me anyway
2: because i'm your son
1: Theo, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You guys are taking me down memory lane here. And it's a story that involves Mr. Cosby, but I'll tell it anyway.
0: All right. Nancy and I have talked about this at at length. Part of my issue with some of the reaction to Cosby, part, is it, it feels like a lot of young people who feel betrayed in a way that, like, kids do. And, like, you know, he wasn't a perfect person. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not quite ready to write him off.
2: I'm, like Yeah, look, I'm going to separate you from your contributions, you know. And this is going to sound crazy, but a lot of great minds do weird shit.
1: <laughs> you know, I think that the ongoing discussion uh, we've had for the past few years about the art Versus the artist, you know, are important to definitely talk about. But I mean, I always come back back to the art mm-hmm. and, and the complications of of as you said earlier, Nancy. The complications of these minds that are that live in a creative realm that is so strong, the other parts of their brain atrophy. The sensitivity aspects of who they are that's gone mm-hmm. because. If, if you live a life where no one says no to you, there's going to be trouble. And that's what seems to happen, that people uh, are unfettered and their egos grow into narcissism, which then sort of like starts to rot. And then people are hurt mm-hmm. and people get in the positions of being hurt and it's, you know, it's a lot to look at and a lot to cover. It is a lot. Um, and it's yeah. complicated for me mm-hmm. because for for six years, that's who I got my approval from. Right. And ex- had expectations of the level of work. And he was so smart at times I thought he might be psychic. <laughs> he, he, he was that brilliant. And... Two things I'll never forget is the first season of the show. My mother came for a visit and here I am on this number one show and mom comes for a visit and she wants to be on the set and she wants to meet him. And, and he was so good with moms. This is a hard thing to say. People will be hearing this and go like, what, what is this guy talking? He, he loved moms. He, he respected what moms went through. That was part of his act and. And but but he really had those feelings, I think. Mm-hmm. And he gave my mom a big hug.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I really looked at that hug and said, really, <laughs> "Bill, it's my mom." He <laughs> gave her a big hug, and then he pointed at me and he said, "Ruth, when you had this one, God said he's for Cosby." Mm-hmm. Wow. And my mom, like that, was meant the world to her. Boy, that she loved that. But then wow. year five, she came back to visit. And uh, we were in his dressing room for a brief couple of minutes, and she wanted to thank him for all that he did for me, which I didn't love, because, like, what was I doing for him, Mom, really? But she, that's what she said. And he said, Ruth, uh, I'll tell you what, the minute he stops giving me stuff I like, he's out. So that was an interesting twist and an interesting personality. That he had been on a number one show for six years, and things changed. It, it was it completely the other side of the coin of God saying he's for Bill.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was like holy. There s- yeah, he could get the guillotine at any minute.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, is 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 that sort of what happened? I mean, I know the show was was number one. What well, was five years or six years running? Or was it was the sixth year the year that it began to falter?
1: It was uh, the it was the seventh year because I was gone.
2: But you went on to do Different World.
1: I, I co-created with Carmen Finestra and Matt Williams uh, in 1987. That's when we wrote the pilot for Different World, and so it was running while Cosby it, was on, right? Yeah, while we were on, and then it continued after we were gone. I think it did seven years on NBC. Right. Why did Lisa leave? I believe that Lisa and Marissa Tomei they really altered the premise of the show in the second year. They began to change it because the premise that we had written and the premise that Bill had been part of with us was what would it be like for Lisa to go to a Black college and to have a white roommate who was one of the only white students at a Black college. That was a premise of a different world. Right. Right, and Lisa and Marissa departed after the first season.
0: Um, Just going back a little bit, what was the reason that you ended up leaving the Cosby show? Because because of that, that edict that he said to your mom? I mean, was it close to
1: that? I think that only the revelations of the last four years have really filled in some pieces for me. And I do believe that my efforts to just do the best show every week, and which I was willing to you follow my sword, just anything to get this show where it needed to be, um, included a wish that only qualified actors appear on the show. And that got me into trouble.
0: Did you have a walk-on, Nancy? No, I was an extra one one time. I was an extra in,
1: in some dance scene or something like that. But John, you were on the show. Yes, I played on I was on an episode of the show, uh Be Hard to Recognize Me because I played Louis Pasteur. <laughs> the Louis Pasteur? I think Bill like decided it was time to torture the writers. Because he said, "I want you guys to play this like fi- this sort of dream sequence, and I uh, want you to be famous figures from history talking to Raven." Oh uh, wow! Right, She was very young and explaining greatness to her, and I and you, he said, are going to be Louis Pasteur, and and that was three and a half hours of makeup. That sounds like and fun. It, it actually was fun, except you can hear one of the worst French accents ever. <laughs> <No. Yeah. laughs> And you said penicillin can cure all kinds of infectious diseases?
2: That's what I'm saying. We'll call that comedy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Your right. yeah. comedy with a K. Um, after that, Different World was still running, and then you did Late Line with uh, Al, and then you stepped in, I think, the last couple of years of Larry Sanders, is that right?
1: Uh, It was, that's right. I stepped in for a season and a half of Larry Sanders. I
2: I love that. I'm sorry. I love that show. I love that show. It was great. And And the style was like before it's time and everybody's doing that now. mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of
1: the favorite lines I ever wrote for the show. It was a great show to write for. And and Gary, but Gary was actually the first person to pay me for jokes when I had moved to LA.
2: Oh, really?
1: Gary had discovered me. We spent a lot of time together back, back in that, in that period. Um, But um, there's a a scene in one of my episodes where the show budget gets out. (laughs) And everyone's looking at what everyone else makes. It's a huge disaster. And um, Hank's assistant gets in a fight with Beverly, who who is Larry's assistant. Beverly... You know, is, is like making a hundred dollars more a week. Hank's right. assistant, and she says, "Well, you see what the things I do for Larry. You see them." And and he says to her, "Have you ever had to pick through Great Dane shit looking for an engagement ring?"
2: Oh. <laughs> now, how'd you come up with I don't, that? Was that all, was that from real life? I, know I know, right? Wow. <laughs> Oh, uh-uh, Larry.
0: No, I, I really don't think you want to send this.
1: Just fax it.
0: Uh, Bruce, I'm sorry, would you excuse us just for a second?
1: What is wrong?
0: You want me to send this to Tom Shales? Yes. Dear dumb fuck. Keep going. Um, Larry, I am sorry, but I, I can't send this.
1: Fine, then I'll fax it myself.
0: Oh, you don't even know how
1: to use the fax machine, oh, remember? really? Oh, really? I'll turn it on, stick it in, and just hope for the best. It'll be like sex. Gary was, I think, a true artist. He 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 thought constantly about the the truth in his comedy and authenticity in his comedy, and um, which made him kind of out of the realm of mainstream Hollywood comedy. Mm. Gary was like, there has to be honesty here. And, and, you know, almost made him sick, I think, his pursuit of excellence. Aww. I think it was part of what ultimately was, was his undoing. I mean, he was dealing with real phys- some real physical things. But I, I think that the, the town and the world, even though Larry Sanders was about sending up Hollywood and sending up the cowardice and hypocrisy. But, I mean, he was there. And he was buddies with Warren Beatty. And he wrote with Warren and, and hung out and famous people wanted to be around him. Mm -hmm. Famous people loved him. And, and, you know, he had his pick of people who wanted to be on the show. He would never ask himself. He had that rule and he just didn't want to get involved.
0: And maybe didn't want to get rejected. God forbid, you know.
1: And and didn't want to get rejected. I'll never forget when uh, we came up with the episode involving Sally Field on the Larry Sanders show. Mm -hmm. I think it's called, Where is the Love? It's all about the approval we need as performers. And um, we wrote a a script that had profanity in it, of course, and had her talking about her Oscar speech, where Mm. she said, you love me. You really love me. Very honest.
2: to own the moment first time i won the oscar i was so scared it was like out of body experience i don't remember anything that happened i might as well not have been there i can imagine second one i wanted to own it so i said what i felt that's what i felt was that sickening
1: uh tom shales just walked in he's just walked in sent her the script and i thought like this is almost too good to be true if she wants to do all this and I got the phone call from Sally saying, "I'll do it on one condition." And I said, "Tell, tell, tell me." And she said, "Can I trade two motherfuckers for a cocksucker?" <laughs> I, I wonder if she, Sally, would even remember that, uh, or you know, <laughs> guessed that that was the story. But I thought, okay, we're good. <laughs>
0: okay we've got some we you've already been way generous and we're, oh, we yeah we both on, were like keep going okay so we've got some flash questions for you so that does that mean i need to answer them like that well, you can answer them without thinking about them and then follow yeah. up with a quick why, because okay. we yeah. want to know why you think that. OK, yeah. okay. this
1: will be like my therapy. All
0: right. Austin Powers or Maxwell Smart?
1: Austin Powers just makes me laugh like crazy. I think Mike Myers just had a grip on such great uh, comedy and also compelling, funny people, because he's coming up with all this stuff, pretty much. I mean, he had some writers working. He had um, the Turners do Wayne's World and the Turners on a couple of his movies. So there, you know, he worked with gifted writers. But, but, you know, when you think about all the kind of catchphrases that Austin Powers was doing, (laughs) look at the opening credits of that movie. (laughs) And the dancing and the...
0: Just based on the opening credits, I, I used to pray that I could just be in one of his opening credits.
1: That's all. Just with a great wig and doing some great Austin Powers I, dances. I, that's I, all. I, I know, and you know, I, I loved love Get Smart and had the wonderful talents of Buck Henry and Mel Brooks, and and you know, it was it was an original piece, and uh, but it was canned laughter, you know, and and uh, still. Still was great and we wouldn't miss it as kids, but again and again and again, I can watch Austin Powers.
0: Everybody, hey, baby, shall we shag now or shall we shag later? Well, that's just groovy, baby.
1: <laughs> All right, Nance, your turn.
2: Uh, okay, uh, Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle?
1: Not gonna choose.
2: Okay.
1: Why two? two comic? I would say I'm not gonna choose. Because both of these people are like pathfinding comedians and are explosively funny and different. Yeah. And Dave Chappelle has chosen to stay in Yellow Springs, Ohio, which is near where I'm from. <laughs> and hats off to him for having a farm and staying back in Ohio. And, and Chris is just like explosive. You know, they're different. They're really yes. different. So I'm sorry to not choose. Yeah, that's all right. Here's here's a here's an easier one. Water
0: or vodka?
1: <laughs> if, if I had lived in Manhattan in the fifties and sixties, if I gotten to live in that period of time and gone to Toot Shores and gone to the store club. I'd be drinking vodka every night. I'd be a mess. I'd I'd be gone by now. I'd be drinking and smoking and having the best fucking time, and now I can't do a goddamn thing. <laughs> so, yeah, you're it's your your question was a trigger for me. Damn trigger! Don't ask me that. <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> nancy wyatt um uh, let me see i'm going down the list oh mary tyler moore or murphy brown
1: mary tyler moore i i, I do not hesitate oh no and and you know Candace sorry but it has and, to be something but mary is first of all with mary you're looking at two classic comedies not one and uh yeah and and as a you know and she she brought me through my adolescence no, so I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. No. I, I yeah. loved that show. That show started when I was in fifth grade and ended, I think, when I graduated high school. I mean, it was like the perfect formative years of my life and made me, you know, independent, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let me stop talking. Um, Okay, how's this? Uh, Afros or
1: cornrows or dreadlocks? Are we talking about... Men versus women versus. You take that saying? any way you want. I marvel at the time spent doing any of those. <laughs> I don't mean <laughs> to give you a political answer, but I, I, I can't help but it turns my head when I'm wa- while I'm walking here in Manhattan and I see, and and I, I um um, aren't dreadlocks kind of achieved by just not washing your
0: hair? Well, it's it's like letting your hair kind of um yeah it's sort of do its own thing. It's not that you don't wash it, but you don't untangle it. You and don't the, untangle it. So yeah, it and the sick. hair
1: starts to lock. Okay. Yeah, and, you and it starts to lock. Um I will go with dreadlocks then. All right. Yeah, I, all I, right. I once was shooting the barbecue show in Reno, Nevada. And I had no idea what Burning Man was oh. and and Burning Man had ended. And all these young people reeking of patchouli <laughs> were coming out of the desert to the casinos. And I thought I, I found all of them sexually exciting. <laughs> men, women, young men and women all with dreadlocks and uh, every color of person. and. It was exciting to me. So Dreadlocks is like the first, okay. kind of like, you know, <laughs> electric sort of tuning fork vibrating moment.
0: For
2: yeah. Okay. Nance, you, you want another uh, Mel Brooks or Gary Marshall?
1: Mel Brooks. I'm sorry. Why? Gary, Tell us why. Mel Brooks because Mel is really a founding father of comedy. His face should be on the Rushmore of comedy. He has been the funniest, the longest, Mm. and he did not creatively steer Laverne and Shirley. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Mel all the way. (laughs) It's alive!
0: Okie doke. Uh, Count Basie Uh or the Funk
1: Brothers? Um, I need to listen to more Funk Brothers, but I am a Count Basie freak. And why is that? Because he represents... I played in big bands until I was in my early 30s. What did you play? I played woodwinds. I played tenor and clarinet. And I I had a swing band in high school, and then I was in the Stanford Jazz Band. And then I played jazz when I got out of college and moved to L.A. Count Basie is, to me... The most dynamic arrangements and tightest band and swingiest band, Mm. and his piano playing was so elegant and simple and straightforward. And I am a freak for the their guitar player during the peak years, uh, a, a guitarist named Freddie Green. Freddie Green. Freddie Green. He played a big body guitar. He only played two notes at a time. And he hiked his strings high up off the body and he could compete with that big band. He could compete with it. And he was the fulcrum that drove this thing ahead. On guitar, he could compete with a big, wow. wow. That's some sound. I'm such a devotee of him. I mean, he died a long time ago, but I remember one day thinking, I'm gonna get his widow on the phone and see if any of his guitars are right now. Aww. And that, she didn't want. She hung up on me. <laughs> only gets those calls every week from some <laughs> impertinent young asshole <laughs> wanting to know about our Freddy's guitars for sale. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'd have hung up on me too. And listen, that puts two of your picks together because Mel Brooks put Count Basie in Blazing Saddles. Sure How can you not love that?
1: Imagine, you know that's a joke where you have you laugh in the room and then someone's got to fucking do it you got to get that band out there right in the desert. you got to sit them outside they don't want to be outside they don't like being outside those guys <laughs> I, I mean but it's a, one of those jokes like are we really going to go with this um <laughs> but 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 it was very funny and of course they were playing April in Paris. Oh, of course.
0: Yeah. And then you've got Cleveland Little in that Gucci outfit and just as beautiful as, oh yeah. Oh, this was okay. good. Okay.
2: Uh, Jack Parr or Johnny Carson?
1: We got real apples and oranges there. Um, I find Johnny harder to watch, the older I get, And I, listen, I, my dream beginning in high school through college was to be a writer on the tonight show with johnny and i was willing to go to burbank i wanted to i wanted to become a page Mm -hmm. so i was literally driving out to burbank to and i remember the name of this lady that was in charge of pages and stuff she just tormented me constantly with well maybe maybe i never Ah. got the page job and then i started bringing stuff out to johnny and whether it got read or not i don't know but um Johnny was a real ideal in comedy, and I wish I'd spent a little time with him. I didn't get to. And Jack Parr just used to. I love those conversations now, but he was a little annoying to watch. Oh, really?
0: I mean, is that unfair? No, my, my father used to say almost the same thing. Jack Parr, he's, he's nutty, kiddo. But now that he really had a talk show where people talked to each other and it wasn't just showing the film clips or doing the bits i i saw this doc on him probably 10 or 15 years ago and i just fell in love with him i thought he was yeah. great
1: he it was real adult conversation and it also spoke of new york to me you know like what a what a, i mean i i love watching to tell the truth and what's my line because <laughs> i fantasize about what it would have been like and this goes back to your vodka or water question I fantasize about being a panelist on one of those shows, and boy, life would have been good. At least I, you would have been out there, you know, having what you want to eat, <laughs> drinking and smoking and staying out, you know. And, and, Every time you say that, it's drinking with an smoking, smoking, hanging,
2: you know. hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: had you put Dave Letterman's name in there, everyone would go away. He's to me, it.
2: Oh, and you,
0: you know what else? He's. I think you really get to see his interviewing skills now
1: on the on the new show. He's fantastic. He is fantastic, and I. You know, it depends on the, the guest sometimes how good he is. But last night I watched his interview with Billie Eilish and her brother. Oh, I have
0: seen clips of that where she talks about uh, having Tourette's and whatnot. Yeah. They show it. Wow. They,
1: they show because she wants to talk about. She's pretty pretty she's a one of a kind and so's her brother and they were raised right they were raised by good parents i think they they huh. were raised to be themselves and they were taught to talk about themselves when they needed to and encouraged creatively and like i would not have needed to go into therapy had i had her parents. <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't have needed it i would have you know i would have saved so much money i would have given it to my parents (laughs) (laughs) did you know that the writer david mamet sued his father for the price of his therapy no
0: Uh, did he he win
1: he won what a judge awarded him the money
0: i think he's a trumpy now he's totally gone that way
1: Really? He's yeah. Underlying QAnon, I think. I mean, he's,
0: oh my god!
1: You can't write those kind of plays and be an easy person to be around. I
0: know. I know. Can I just ask a, a follow-up question about the canned laughter? How did they do that? That when I go back and I look at those comedies, and they're filmed and there's no audience and it's just like silent. I mean, was the crew laughing? Did they like? How did they do that?
1: One of the inventors of this form was a guy named Jack Douglas. And it's still being done by his son, Bobby Douglas, who I've used on a few shows and, as I remember, used to come to the recording sessions in a red Ferrari. Oh, my God. It is a good business to be like, considered the best in. Holy man. And what the good ones are really, really good at is it doesn't feel false. You know, unless you got this, like, kind of obnoxious, Showrunner who's saying, I like, give me a bigger laugh there. And like, what do you use to, what do you put that? Tony Roberts was that character.
0: Right, right. <sighs> Max, you realize how immoral this all is? Max,
1: I got a hit series.
0: It's yeah, I know, be... but you're adding fake laughs. I'm
1: home, so early. Honey, yeah. give me Can a tremendous laugh here, Tommy. do the show live in front of an audience. Right, but nobody laughs at it because yeah, the jokes yeah. aren't funny. Yeah, well, that's where this machine is dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I need a big, give me a guffaw there. <laughs> but what Bobby Douglas used to do is he, all, he had all his father's laughs with him, too. He was mm-hmm. like a keyboard. He was like playing an instrument.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he was, he was very tasteful. <laughs> and, and I said to him, so you got your dad's laughs on this? And he goes, yeah. I said, OK, she's stomping the grapes. Lucy's stomping the grapes. He said, all right, I'll play it for you. There was the original lass. And then I said, okay, when the chocolate's coming out on the belt, he goes, there's a special one there. There's someone in the audience who saw what was coming and did this. Uh Uh-oh. Well, this is easier. Yeah, we can handle this,
2: okay? (laughs)
1: And he had it. And I said, can you put that there? And we put it in the show.
0: Well, that's our show. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And remember, as a special offer to Giles Files listeners, you'll get 10% off of your first month if you use the code betterhelp.com slash Giles That's betterhelp.com slash Giles And a big thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Big, big thanks to the lovely and talented John Marcus for a great part two interview and for sharing some of his comedy knowledge with us. Note to our listeners be sure to check out part one of John's interview. It's from earlier this season. It's episode five, entitled John Marcus, Pitmaster, and you'll learn all about his spicier side. And note to John, seriously, where is our brisket? Okay, we're still waiting. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt, produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt, and recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. Be sure to check out The Giles Files on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And hey, write us a review. Tell us what you think. We want to hear from you. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Giles Files.
2: Okay?